0: Trust is a function of four variables. Probably we should be calling this the trustworthiness equation, yeah. rather than the trust equation, but literally half a million to a million people all call it, or more, call yeah. it the trust equation. And we put we the trust step. equation, but it's the trustworthiness equation. And where does it start? It starts with credibility. I'm mean, going to give you have four variables. It's credibility, plus reliability, plus intimacy, an unusual word, but an important word mm-hmm. for the business context all reduced or diminished by the other person's perception of your self-orientation.
1: So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Robert Galford and Charlie Green. They are the co-authors of the book, The Trusted Advisor. You know, I am always trying to cultivate different guests that come at this whole thing of business, really. I mean, it's the leadership podcast, but it almost could just be the small business and entrepreneurship podcast. And I want to try to find different ways to serve all of you, whether it's something we're talking about regarding marketing or whether it's regarding sales, whether it's team development. I mean, there's so many different layers to growing and developing yourself and growing and developing and let well, alone scaling a business. And so I came across this book and I was like, oh, this would be a great book. Started reading the reviews, great reviews, and picked it up myself. And I thought we've got to get them on the podcast. We spent a lot of time in this episode, especially at the very beginning, coming to terms or the definition around trust and trustworthiness. And I think that you're going to get a ton out of this episode. Something that's going to allow you to kind of think through, especially when we get to the trust equation. How can you improve each one of these variables to be able to have more trust in the marketplace? Without further ado, here's my conversation with Robert and Charlie. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency and Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they are taking to achieve chairman circle, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at CoachPeteConsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Robert and Charlie, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast.
0: Yes, sir. You asking about where did I come from? Where did this come from? You've heard the phrase before, I'm sure, those who can't teach, consult. And Charlie and I found ourselves spending a lot of time teaching consultants. So we're still trying to figure this out a little bit. I say that with tongue deeply in cheek. In fact, we both come from somewhat similar backgrounds, liberal arts, undergrad, educations, found ourselves together in an MBA program at a small school in New England called Harvard Business School, kind of glommed onto each other with, I think, respect and similar kinds of approaches to life. And then I found myself having spent time before and around that in strategy consulting, investment management, and the practice of law that my life was really circulating very much around professional services. So these concepts of what really distinguishes better players or better participants in various professions rose to the fore. And we began, because we were working together, I think we had some very similar ideas about what really differentiated those who were particularly higher performers than their peers and competitors. So Charlie, over to you to really kind of embellish that a little bit.
2: Well, Rob, just gave the Aristotelian final cause basis of it. I'll give you the proximate cause. What literally happened to trigger it was mm-hmm. Rob and I were jointly subcontracting to another firm doing some work for Deloitte & Touche in mm-hmm. an offsite. And the head of that program called us up. We were up there the evening before, and he said, gee, one of the faculty members missed their flight. Can you guys throw together something tomorrow on the idea of a trusted advisor? And we said, sure, you know, we're good consultants. We'll do a two-by-two matrix or something. Don't worry, you'll be fine. And it was fine. So he said, gee, that was good. Can you make it two hours next time? And it went to two hours and then three and then four. And after a while, Rob and I said, gee, maybe there's a book here. And we started noodling around and didn't have much luck with publishers or agents. But then we ran into another guy, our third author, David Meister, who had already written several books. And David said, if you guys are interested, if you're willing to make me lead author, I will solve your publishing problem. So we thought for a nanosecond second, said, welcome, lead author. He picked up the phone, called up Simon and & Schuster, and we had our book deal. And the rest is history. Wow. What year was that? That was about 1998, Rob? That was 1999. Yeah, Yeah,
0: 1998, 1999. We had spent those first three years actually teaching partners at Deloitte in 96, 97, 98. So it took us really 1999 to craft it. And that's when we had run into David. And that's when this all happened. And then the book first came out right at the turn of the century. 20th
2: anniversary edition got published, you know, 20 years later, a couple years ago. All
1: right. Before we get into trust and trusted advisor, I got to ask what has been the biggest benefit to you personally and professionally from the fact is that you graduated from Harvard?
0: That's a good question. I had a Harvard professor who was pretty caustic, who was pretty snarky. And he said that Harvard affiliation is a non-depreciating asset. That may be an exaggeration, but I certainly think that There is an element of that. Let's be honest about it. It's a fact of life, I guess, a credential, a club mark or something like that that you get. More than that, I think what it does do, and this is true for, I think, most really great MBA programs, they give you a way of thinking about stuff. They give you an approach. They help you synthesize uh, because they've had so much practice at it. Remember, we got there 90 years after these folks were doing this to really say, okay, what really is fundamentally important as a leader of a profession of a corporation? So I think we learned how to distill things to their essential at a fairly intense pace because, you know, two years at business school, you're going to get a thousand cases thrown at you, literally a thousand cases, three a day, every day for two years. By then, you should be pretty good at pattern recognition. And I think that's really what helped us a great deal. What are the pattern recognitions, not just on the regular basis, but for people to stand out, for people hmm. who are extraordinary at building trust and building Hmm. organizations. That's good.
1: Yeah, I think it does. It carries a weight, it gets me to ask the question, right? It's like, wow, that's amazing. I'm sure the rooms and the tables that that allows you to get in, right? The calls, it gets you in the door and a lot of things that otherwise, no offense to other universities, and I'm not going to name those, but I mean, it's just like, it carries a certain weight to it and a credibility factor to it.
0: Although Bradley, one final point on that one, I think is it may get you in the door. It doesn't keep you in the room. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. Okay. So one thing I didn't want to mention this before we hit record, because I wanted to talk about on the recording. I really love that you all take the time to define certain words. What do we mean by that specifically around trust and even what is trustworthiness, trusted, et cetera. Yeah. So and the reason I like that is because oftentimes <clears throat> and I was this way before myself that I would just use words very loosely. I could say blueprint or roadmap or playbook or process or procedure and checklist. And it was all just interchangeable. Like it was, you know, system, you know, something. Versus okay. now, I try to know this is what this means and this is what yeah. this means. So Charlie, why don't you start with, tell us what is your definition and why should we come to a clear definition of what trust is?
2: Yeah, well, the reason to want a clear definition, you articulated very well. It's one of the trust is one of those words. It's soft, muffy, fluffy, cloud sculpting, vague type of stuff. And even researchers who spend a lot of time on this, they'll tell you, oh, trust is up, trust is down, which is all true and statistic. But it doesn't help you very much until you get precise. So we've come up with a very simple common sense base. Rob and I both have a deep belief in common sense and common language. And I suggest you, everybody listening to this already knows the answer to this, to what I'm about to say. We know it, we just forget to use it. So real simple distinction, trust is a noun. It's a state of existence, a relationship between two parties, and it's made up of interactions between two players, a trustor and a trustee. A trustor is the person who takes a risk to trust the other person. A trustee is the person who then proves themselves either to be trustworthy or not. And when a sufficiently risk-taking trustor meets a sufficiently trustworthy trustee, voila, The level of trust between them goes up. So if you want to examine practically, instead of just going on about the levels of trust, say, well, where's the problem? Is it a problem with the trustor not being sufficiently risk-taking? Or is it a problem with the trustee not being sufficiently trustworthy? You can look, for example, at over the last 10 years, I'd say, for example, Wells Fargo has had a trustworthiness problem. I don't think they disagree with that. They've messed up publicly. And that's what you call lack of trustworthiness. They messed up. On the other hand, you look at a statistic like over the last 20 years, violent crime in the U.S. is measurably statistically down. At the same time, also measurably statistically, fear of violent crime is up. So that's a case where it's not a problem of the underlying material objective reality. It's a problem of perceptions. Uh, People are afraid of stuff. So whenever you come to trust, you have to say, is it a problem with, and this is true of financial services in particular, you got a whole bunch of risk-averse people who are not very good at trusting others. The only good risk is a dead risk, and it's to be mitigated. So that's a common problem we have running in with financial planners, commercial bankers, investment bankers, insurance agents, et cetera. On the other side, which we'll talk about more, the trustworthiness thing, we've really dove into that one quite a bit around a model called the trust equation, which Rob will describe, very, very simple. And we probably should talk more about the trustworthiness side than the trusting side, but they're both relevant. So anyway, there's a quick definition. So,
1: Robert, <laughs> is it fair to say that it's not binary in the sense, does somebody trust or not trust? It's at what level and how much somebody is somebody trust. Is that fair to say?
0: I think that's great. There are degrees of it. And that's mm-hmm. why we had to kind of look at this and say, if you're not careful, this all becomes, as Charlie says, mufty, fluffy. We need an equation here just to anchor this on some of the real factors. The other thing that I think is important just from the standpoint of definitions, when we talk about trust, there's a lot of times that people say, oh, I don't trust, you pick it, that company. I don't trust that government. I don't trust that thing. And there are lots of different kind of ways, taxonomies, you can think about this. There's corporate trust, you know, the strategic trust, the way there's in the sense of the way companies behave, what their goals are, what their values are. There's organizational trust, the way things get done. And then there's this question of individual trust. Do I trust that person? Do I trust my lawyer? Does my lawyer trust the people working for him? They're expert witnesses, let's say. And so that's an individual trust dimension, which is also very much a part of this. As Charlie said, it starts with trustor and trustee. And I think to both of us, you can get overly caught up on, oh, societal trust and corporate trust. For us, it's about those relationships.
2: Interpersonal trust. The interpersonal trust. I trust you, you trust me, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. If we put this in the context of a financial advisor, Mm -hmm. you could have someone who's a prospect or a client hypothetically could say, I trust them to manage $20,000. But if I had 20 million, I'm not so sure I would be, trust them at the same level. I'm not saying that maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, but it's like, I would trust them with this, but I wouldn't necessarily trust them with that.
2: Yeah. I And mean, what you're saying, when the stakes are low, maybe a little bit easier to say, yeah, I got it. You're burned on the 20 grand, no big deal. You're right. If the stakes are higher. You look at it more closely. And Rob and I would agree, I think, that, um, uh, well, let's get into the trust equation, Rob. I was going to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, because that's where this will pop up.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. People people, people in, in financial professions in particular, for example, overrate the components of trustworthiness that have to do with your credentials and your data and your track record and your clever equations and so forth. And they underrate what Rob referred to the more emotional, interpersonal, subjective, body language, kind of emotional stuff, if you will. Both of which are parts of trustworthiness. We trust people for both reasons.
0: And let's lay out the equation, and you'll see where this pops up. Trust is a function of four variables. Probably we should be calling this the trustworthiness equation rather than the trust equation, but literally half a million to a million people all call it, or more, call it the trust equation. And we put the trust equation, but it's the trustworthiness equation. And where does it start? It starts with credibility. I'm going to give you four variables. It's credibility, plus reliability, plus intimacy, an unusual word, but an important word for the business context, all reduced or diminished by the other person's perception of your self-orientation. So, so we C got a plus numerator. Plus I over S. Exactly. We got three elements in the numerator, one in the denominator, credibility plus reliability, plus intimacy, and all really good, all really important. But if you just Kind of step back and take the the ten thousand foot view of that equation. It says if you are not sufficiently credible and reliable and intimate, or you are, you're great on those things. But if you are viewed as operating too much out of your own self orientation in your own head, being too much self interested, even or not interested enough sincerely in them, it doesn't matter how credible, reliable, or intimate you're going to be.
1: So basically, what we're saying is, and I did not go to Harvard. I did get my degree in finance, but if we divide it by zero. If that denominator is zero, it is zero,
2: right? right. Yeah, although, although you realistically, look, you know, realistically, we'd never go all the way to zero.
0: So, no, right, right. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. and that, very frankly, is why we put that equation, which is you can't have zero in the denominator. You mm-hmm. need some level yeah. of self-orientation. Let's think about this. What do we call people with zero self-interest or self-orientation? We call them martyrs. Hmm. We call them saints. Mm. We call them doormats sometimes. Mm. Mm. So you need at least some amount of self-awareness. And your interests may may be parallel, but you can never have zero self-interest. That
1: makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I've got a business to run.
0: Right, exactly. You've got things yeah. that may, or whatever. I've got a reputation to protect even. So yeah. there are times when I can't be zero self-interest.
2: And let's be um, clear, this plays out this, but not just in the issues of whether I'm selfish and worried about my own business, but also no. simply paying attention. Am I looking at you in the eye or am I off in my head thinking about what I'm going to answer to your next question? Mm-hmm. Am I really paying attention and asking questions genuinely? That translates into low self-orientation. That translates into higher levels of trustworthiness. So mm-hmm. on a very thing. personal level.
0: Yeah. And so the important thing is really to look at this equation and, and say, okay, in some ways, it's like anything else. Numerators have good behaviors you know, and have those outweigh the more negative behaviors in the denominator because the denominator brings everything down.
1: So yeah. would credibility be things like, okay, I'm just coming back to this because this is what I told yeah. you before and it's Just real time, where you went to school, you went to Harvard. Okay, that yeah. raises that the credibility. Exactly. Let's just I mean, be let's
0: question,
2: let's those quickly. Credibility, but, yeah. basically, are you smart? Are you good at what you do? Yeah, I, actually sure. so actually,
0: I go with what I call the three C's that really mark one, what makes you credible. Yep. The first is competence or the perception of competence. And what may grant you that? The initials after your name or the certifications. What do we call the person who finishes last in their medical school class?
2: Doctor. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So the perception of competence often comes from credential. Sure. It often comes from experience. Oh, you went there. You used to work for that company. You know people who I know who I think are credible and they've endorsed you. So in some ways, the first C is competence. The second of them is confidence in oneself. Because you can have a lot of people who have great competence, but they don't have a lot of confidence and therefore they don't come across as credible. And the third dimension, the third C is communication. So it's the what you know and what your expertise is and what you're good at. That's the competence plus the ability to bring that forward and actually doing it in the what you say and how you come across. That's credibility.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So I can think around... Confidence, where did I go to school? How many years have I done this? Do I have initials or certifications behind my name hey. that I have a license of some sort that says mm-hmm. that I have passed X number? Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Hey. Confidence, just basically how I'm carrying myself about whether or not I can do this. And maybe even confidence has come from I've done this so many yes. other times. So to your doctor example, I've got a neurosurgeon, somebody has done their 1000th brain surgery develop some level of confidence, okay, Not and competence of saying, yeah, I've experienced this before. I do have to ask, how does communication then differ from the second part of the equation, which is reliability?
2: The reliability component really is track record, dependable. I'm done before, I meet my promises. I do what I told you I would do. I do it on time. It's the easiest one to do. Just make a lot of promises and keep them. Increases your perception of reliability.
0: Big insurers, as their slogan, promises made, promises kept. Yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. There
2: you go. And by the way, those first two, the credible and the reliable, both those components are subject to very familiar business manipulations. We can collect data on them, track records, and get all kinds of statistics and keep track of them. And you know the phrase, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Neither of us believe in that. There's lots of ways you can manage without measuring. But that's a very common belief and very commonly practiced. Mm -hmm. So most people in the professional services, and I think especially in financial, put a lot of weight on the C and the R components, the credible and the reliable. After all, that's what we spend most of our time doing is staying up to speed on all the stuff. Can't be brain dead and be a financial planner or insurance agent. you got to have a certain amount of intelligence. And we're used to conveying that and purveying it. Unfortunately, that's not where most of the action is. It's in the other two factors, which I'll do the third one in the numerator, the intimacy thing. People have a hard time with that word. All we mean by it is kind of emotional safety. Do I feel safe sharing this information with this person? This is the kind of person, you know, maybe would I want to have a beer with, but more importantly, Am I going to open up and actually share with them? If a financial planner asks me if they've got a CFP, that's good. If they understand risk management, that's good. If they got a lot of clients, that's good. But if a financial planner asks me, what do you do with your money? What's important to you? What's with your family? That's a question that gets more into that interpersonal thing. And an advisor who asks that question is showing, demonstrating, I'm a, we can talk about this. In fact, this is important to you. And if they convey that sense of ease, intimacy, safety, security to the client, the client opens up, that's where that intimacy component comes in. And that, by the way, is not particularly easily put down in statistics and metrics and so forth. That's much harder to measure, but it's we all know how real it is. It's like, do I want to talk to this person? Do I want to let them into my family secrets and stuff? Tell them about my medical and health issues? Well, they may be super competent, but if you don't have that confidence in them, there is a certain amount you're not going to trust with that 20 million you mentioned. No way.
0: I think there's an important distinction to be made here. What we are talking about and the difference in intimacy is we are talking about it's going to get personal, but it doesn't necessarily have to be private. Private is private. And the trust trustor makes a decision very consciously what they are comfortable revealing about themselves. So where we start with on intimacy is, yes, it's personal first, of and for and about the person, their wishes, their aspirations, their goals. And if they want to add that background that many people would find private, the reason this is a goal is because I had a lousy second marriage or I didn't do right by my kids in that marriage or something like that. That's for them to say, So there's an important element here in being able to get to the personal, make people feel comfortable, not try to suck them into anything, not try to fool them into it, but make them feel sufficiently and honestly at ease that they will tell you a lot more. And by doing that, it changes the conversation away from the statistical. All the credibility, reliability stuff, tables, all those kinds of things, why one financial advisor's results are better than the other, all that sort of stuff. Easily differentiable, but I want to quote a line from the great Charlie Green. From who I learned, until they know that you care, they don't care what you know.
2: That's so good. And there's a sequencing in that statement that Rob just quoted there. Until they know that you care, they don't care what you know. First, they have to feel that you care. Then they will listen to what you know. Now, let's be clear. As you pointed out earlier, the credentials will get you in the door, get you a meeting all the letters after your name, the school you went to, et cetera, that's sufficient for people to say, yeah, we want to talk to that person. That's cool. But they don't open up and do the stuff that Rob just talked about until they get that sense from you that, oh, this person may actually sort of give a damn. It seems like they're actually paying attention. Maybe they really kind of care. Maybe they will talk to them a little more. What a concept.
1: Do you mind if I then ask a question around that? Sure. Then if that holds true, why would the formula not start with intimacy in the numerator?
0: Good question. It's a license. It's jacks for openers. And that's fundamental. First thing you got to do is show up. What's the old joke? What's the purpose of a meeting? It's to get another meeting. There's a progression here. That makes sense. Imagine walking in, if you would, to a client or a prospect and say, hi, my name is Rob. You don't know me, but I'm your trusted advisor from now on. You see that there's an evolution there. That makes sense.
2: Those three factors, C, R and I in the numerator and the S that we talked about in the denominator. Self-orientation goes the other way. High self-orientation reduces your trustworthiness. Low self-orientation increases it. So that denominator factor, the ability to really pay attention and hone in on genuine what you're hearing from the other person, as opposed to executing your pre-planned checklist, which is very impersonal, that factors in as well. And let me share. With We put together an online self-assessment version of the trust equation, so people can take it. Over half a million people have taken it. When we got to 70,000, I think it was, we did an analysis. We said that's enough people. Let's see what patterns there are here, and I'll share three headlines with you. Number one: women score better than men, which, by the way, is no surprise to most men. Most men would agree with that, but it's objectively true. Secondly. Our scores get better with age, which I think makes sense because certainly we get more experience as we get older. It's not guaranteed that you get wiser, but there's a correlation there. All cultures have some sort of level of respect for their elders. But the biggest one of all, we did a regression analysis and to ask which is the most powerful of the four factors. And a little bit surprised to us, but the number one factor by small margin was intimacy that one, if you equally weight all four of those variables, that one had the most power and the most impact. I emphasize that because that's exactly the opposite of what most people in financially related professional services tend to believe. It's like, oh, that's all soft skills. No, it's a power skill. It's the most important skill. And we found ways in which that makes a ton of sense. It's what closes the sale. It's what makes people take your advice and so it makes people say, let's move on to something else, or you don't have to fill out all those check boxes. Let's just do this. It's the intimacy thing.
1: Robert, earlier you said, hey, look, the degree has been nice to get me in the room, but it or get us in the room. It doesn't necessarily keep us in the room. It almost feels like what you're saying is, the credibility, the reliability, doing what you say you're going to do, those sort of things get you a seat at the table. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to, in the context of what we're talking about, make the sale, keep the customer.
0: You nailed it. That's exactly yeah. right. Because you know, one of the little games you could play is if you were walking down the streets in Atlanta or in the financial district of some medium to large city and say, "I need a good antitrust lawyer," business cards would descend upon you yeah. and ever go to have a recognition. But fundamentally. What's the differentiator? Yeah. We can find a lot of really talented insurance agents, but why are the great ones favored? It's not because they know more insurance.
2: Yeah, in fact, one of the biggest mistakes people make, and this is across all professions, is they they get invited to a meeting, you know, why don't you show up and tell us about yourself? And they show up and they got there because of their credentials or the reputation of their website or a referral, whatever. And then they get there and they start answering the wrong question which is who we are and how we work. That's not what people want to know. Once you're yeah. in the room and they're looking at you in your eyeballs, they want to know, who is this person? Can I get along with this guy? They don't want to hear you rehearse your resume. That's what got you in the door. So our advice is always put the resume in the deck down and say, listen, here's what little we know about you. Here's what we're fascinated to hear about. Let's talk. What do you think about this subject? And get them talking. And when they're talking and you're nodding your head and paying attention and reformulating your agenda based on what you're hearing, that's when the trust gets built. That's when the sale gets made.
0: And it's not just paraphrasing or, oh, we're always taught to you know para- listen carefully and then par- so what you're really saying is X and Y. It's not that. There's a genuine nature to this. There's a sincerity to this that's right. required. In fact, we used to say about that last dimension, so much of that numerator is the most important thing in the world is sincerity. If you can fake that, you got it made. And just by definition, you can't fake sincerity. People see through that. The only exceptions to that really are individuals who are sufficiently capable of kind of either twisting a reality or influencing people on a different basis than simply being the authentic self. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're looking for.
2: Yeah, Bernie Madoff is very successful, but... (laughs) Yeah. Again, he it.
0: And he was. He's, the guy was a sociopath fundamentally.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, th- yeah. Think, the sociopaths think who, are very good at mimicking
0: this stuff. Exactly. Think of Who got screwed by Bernie Madoff? It was a lot of his friends and people yeah. and companions in some ways. That's it. On the other hand, the other good news on this one is when you have this capability – It's what makes the difference for people. They do believe they you are a responsible human being. They know that people can Mm -hmm. sniff out, or you know, Mm -hmm. generally they can sniff something out like this, except for Mm -hmm. the unusual ones.
1: So, my biggest question that I then have on that part of it is I feel like that the credibility and reliability aspect of it, if I'm kind of summarizing, it's like, okay, look, I've got competence because I've done this a number of times. I can speak to that. I've met with people in similar situations. I have had X number of clients over the years, whatever that may be, right? You've got that. You've got the credentials, maybe potentially in some respects. I say that I'm going to follow up from this conversation today with an email and I follow up today with an email. I say that I'm going to call them next Monday. I call them next Monday. You do what you say you're going to do. And maybe even in some cases, you underpromise and you overdeliver in whatever Actually, so you, capacity I mean, that is.
2: Quick sideline on that: if you mm-hmm. underpromise and overdeliver, you're lying twice. You're not helping your trustworthiness and your credibility. You're destroying it. If you underpromise, you are intentionally saying that you're going to do something that you intend not
0: to do. It's a sandbag.
2: So do exactly what you said you're going to do.
0: Right. If you can say, I can try to get it to you earlier than that, but no later than I promise. Yeah. That's legitimate.
1: Okay. That's good. I appreciate the challenge on that. That's good. All right. So one thing that I'm trying to think through is if I'm listening to this podcast, I could think to myself, I think I'd do a pretty good job with intimacy, right? Um, Somebody could be thinking that and they say, I think I'll do a pretty good job. Everybody else does bad jobs. (laughs) And so what I guess I'm getting at is how do you self-assess in a way to where you're not a narcissist, you're actually really thinking about I want to get better. I'm thinking to myself this, even for me and my businesses. How would I want to do that? I think I do a pretty job, but there's so many levels that I know that I could do a much better job. But yeah. I'm not so sure I could even see myself unless I recorded things and then handed over to somebody who I trust their opinion. That's another thing, by the way. It's like, who do I even trust their opinion yeah. of it? Yeah. You know, Got it. so then I could say, Hey, I send it to you guys. You guys have had tremendous experience. And I'd say, okay, let's just say as an example, after this, I could say, I would like your feedback on how I did on this podcast. And then you said, well, okay, this was good. This was not so good. Okay. I appreciate that. Right. Because versus somebody else asked for their feedback, it doesn't really matter what what their feedback is or something.
2: You get what I'm getting at there, Charlie? Well, I mean, quick answer is you can, anybody listening to this can take that self-assessment quiz that I just mentioned, the risk of self-promotion. If you go to trustedadvisor.com and look at the upper right corner, you can click and take a free version of that self-assessment <laughs> five minutes and you get an instant feedback and it'll tell you not only your score but where your strengths and weaknesses are and so forth but more substantively how do you get better at that i think a lot of it is ask yourself do you go in with a set agenda are you willing to toss that agenda completely depending on what comes out in the meeting because if you're not then you're not paying attention you're not really being focused on what they're saying Another one is, are you ever willing, in principle, to recommend a competitor? Because if you're not, you're implicitly saying, I'm better than everybody at everything, which is Mm. a complete lie on the face of it. Nobody believes that. Don't say that. Another one is long-term versus short-term. Transactionalism is the death of trust. If you find yourself screening out all kinds of clients and who cares what happens with them because you want to get this deal, you shouldn't get this deal because you're just the transactor. People focus on... If you're willing to give advice, even at the cost of losing a job, that's impressive to people. They say, wow, you could have pushed on that, but you didn't. Guess who I'm going to come back to when I really need what it is that you do? So there's a couple. Rob, you can answer that, I'm sure.
0: Charlie's description is stellar. The only other thing I can suggest sometimes on a very personal basis, get yourself a truth teller. Make sure that you know somebody who said, you know, that probably wasn't your best performance. And you will be able to hear what they are saying. You know, mm. I do not recommend doing this with spouses and significant yeah. others. They got a long list already, perhaps, but somebody who's a truth teller and it's even how you make the question because they don't want to they, they don't want, they don't like you and care about you and I want to hurt your feelings. But how do I make this better is a different question than how did I do?
1: Yeah.
0: And so if you deal more in the relative than the absolute, you have a better shot of getting some really unvarnished feedback because it's like how many times have you been to a restaurant and the burger was a little overcooked? and the cold drink wasn't quite cold enough or whatever it is. And the server comes by at the end of the meal and says, how was everything? How often do you really let them know? More often than not, it's, eh, it was fine. You don't go into this long explanation. What you're looking for is the truth teller here to say, not just in that example, but and say, hey, look, when you present, you stepped on my words. You didn't listen enough. Or mm. you went through the close before you had it fully opened or try doing this instead of that. And so you're asking really people for constructive feedback. How do I make this better? That's
1: good. That really lands with me relative as opposed to absolute. I think Mm -hmm. that that makes sense. And even just asking a better question, how did I do, right? And so I was thinking to myself, as somebody's listening to this, they could say, okay, if I'm in a sales appointment or I'm in an appointment with a customer Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to land, either compliantly record it or have someone in the room who you trust their opinion And then asking the question how could i've made that better because i think the tendency is to judge how we did based on whether or not we got the customer or not so you could say well i got the customer so i did good enough maybe not so much there's still areas opportunity for you to be able to get better in that particular case yeah
0: i spent two days uh, in nashville with the forrester folks and a lot of people talk about this net promoter score stuff, which is really yeah. a way, it's not just you did a good job. You got to be up there. If there's not reference in, in your industry in particular, if there's not referenceability, there's a problem. Yeah. If you're getting a lot of sixes and sevens. That's not going to move the needle. Yeah. You know, It's the nines and tens. It's, you know, it's raving fans. So to speak, mm. say, hey, this is your guy.
1: You know? Yeah, that's great. Guys, this has been fantastic. I have learned so much. I know, Charlie, you teased it just a minute ago, but Robert, if people want to connect with both of you how would they go about doing that? And then where would you guys point them to as far as your website information, et cetera, if they want to take the assessment and get in touch with you?
0: Charlie is trustedadvisor.com and easily findable there. I have something called centerforleading.com, but we're both so easily Googleable and contactable. LinkedIn, there are no secrets in this world. We're easy to find.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Well, I really have enjoyed the conversation and I enjoyed reading your book. I'm make sure that we put in a link for people to be able to purchase your book, the trusted advisor.
0: That's great. 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 Thank you.
1: All right, guys. Appreciate you. Hope to have you back on in the future. Thank you. Anytime.
0: you. You bet. You take care of yourself. See ya.
1: I enjoyed that conversation with both of those gentlemen. I always try to take away one, two, or three things. Certainly we spent a lot of time around the trust equation or trustworthiness equation. And I do like to try to pull things into some sort of formula, whether it's a framework concept, et cetera. It feels like I can kind of get my hands around it versus if those things were just kind of in a, we talked about, but we're not necessarily in a formula. So I think for me personally, it's made me think through, okay, the credibility factors. So what are the specific things we can do? Because it's part of the equation. What are the specific things I can do, we can do to be able to show credibility? Some of it comes through just period of time. The competence, do you have your MBA as an example? What other CHFC, CLU, whatever other things that you may have that shows some competence. I think also confidence in communication. How well are you able to communicate? And I do think that communication is a skill and if it's a skill, it can be learned, it can be cultivated, it can be developed. I think around the reliability, there is just do what you say that you're going to do. And I thought Charlie did a really nice job of kind of sharing around, hey, if you under promise and over deliver, you're lying twice. I've never heard that before. And that really landed with me personally. And then I would think the last one is around intimacy. And we spent quite a long time time there, just talking through what are the things that you can actually do to be able to develop the intimacy in the conversations. And even though we were kind of fixated on the business or the advisor to a prospect, to a client, to a customer, I do think it almost in a way applies a little bit to your team if you're recruiting a team member as well to come on board. And it's actually one thing I wish I had to ask those guys is this equation could actually apply over to people who are deciding to come and work for you and your organization. So yeah, really enjoyed that conversation with those guys. Go to trustedadvisor.com. You can search and connect with them on LinkedIn and be sure to take their assessment and get an idea of where you are, what your score is, and so that you can begin to improve. Whenever I think around trust, it really does, and trust equation, it really does remind me of our podcast partners and sponsors, Coach Bay Consulting, Autopilot Recruiting, and Club Capital. They have the credibility, they've got the competency of knowing what to do and how they can best serve you. If you want somebody that's got the credibility, the reliability, and the intimacy that's going to get to know you and your business to help you to bring on A players, reach out to Autopilot Recruiting. And now they have a concierge onboarding service to help you whenever you finally have made that offer. And now how do I get them onboard and how do I make that a seamless experience for my new team member? Go to autopilotrecruiting.com. I think intuitively, we all know that we want to grow and develop not only ourselves, but our team members. And so what's the plan to do that? Training and investment for me has been the, one of the best investments that I've ever made in anything. And putting the money into my team and developing my team is another way to do that. Go to coachpconsulting.com. Look, David has had tremendous experience. And there's not oftentimes, if you think about Jeff Bezos or Elon, no, I guess I'm not comparing David to those guys, but you want to be able to see what they're doing in real time. Not just, hey, you should do this, but what are they actually doing to have success? They give you a behind the scenes look twice a week every single week and then they have an agency only call so you can be around just your peers. If you want to develop your team members but also you want to develop yourself, this is the perfect place and the mastermind the group the curated to help you do just that. go to coachpconsulting.com. I've told my story so many times around financials and not knowing what the heck I was doing regarding financials. yes, I got a finance major in college. I should know exactly how to read basic financial statements but I didn't. However, if you are in that case, in that situation, or if you're just wanting to go to the next level, go to club.capital. They're going to be able to sit with you. I say it often, mindset, skill tool set. What are the tools I need to be able to make better decisions? But actually, how do I read these things? What do these numbers mean? How do I put the numbers in perspective? I see $5,000 in marketing. Is that good? How do I even look at that? What's the ROI of that? What should I be spending in relative to my revenue numbers? And what are other people making this investment? What does that look like on a monthly basis, annual basis? How do I forecast ahead of time so that I could actually bring home more money? I was literally just today talking to a business owner. And they were like, the business has really grown, but my personal income hasn't grown because they didn't put a plan in place. They didn't actually forecast that as revenue was going to go up, so were they going to be able to take home more money? Club Capital can help you with all of those decisions. Go to club.capital. All right, everyone. Until next episode, lead well. <music>